Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices, Past and Present. Brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, www.ihconvention.com. The sermon you're going to hear today was preached by B.J. Walker back in 1988, and it's titled, Five Sources of Strength. I know you'll enjoy this message. Some time ago, I was meditating on this scripture, and it seemed like four admonitions seemed to stand out to me in this scripture, and it came to me this way. First of all, it seems to say to me, awake thyself, awake thyself. Second, it seemed to say to me, dress thyself. Number three, it seemed to say, shake thyself. Number four, loose thyself. Well, amen. Awake, awake. That seems, the prophet seems to be saying to God's people in his day, wake up, wake up. Evidently, they were asleep, or he would not have admonished God's people to wake up. This same, this same exhortation is carried over into the New Testament. In fact, uh, I believe Paul says in Romans that it is a high time to wake out of sleep. For, and knowing the time, that it is high time to wake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. And the New Testament also says, 
Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead in Christ, shall give thee light. Let us not sleep as do others, unless coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. And this same, uh, this same admonishment is carried on from the Old Testament all the way over into the New Testament. And I certainly believe that's a timely exhortation for you and I as we're approaching the end of the age and the coming of the Lord that all of us need to do our best to stay awake. I think this is one of the greatest perils that confront every Christian today and every church is the peril of going to sleep as we're approaching the midnight hour. For you remember it says in Matthew 25, While the bridegroom tarried, they all, wise and foolish, they all did what? Slumbered and slept. And there was a midnight cry went out, the bridegroom's coming. Of course, that woke them up. Some of them awoke too late. Wake up, wake up. I don't want to, I'm not dealing with that particular exhortation this afternoon, but you know, when folk go to sleep, they don't want to be, they don't want to be bothered. They don't want to be disturbed. They don't want to be awakened. In fact, uh, on my door, there's a little gadget hanging there, and you can turn it over to whoever's coming by, and it says, please do not disturb. <laughs> I haven't used it yet, but I could hang it on my doorknob. And it says, please do not disturb. I saw that on a, a door at a, on a motel. It said, occupant asleep, please do not disturb. Leave him alone. Whoever's in there, don't want to be bothered by honking horns and knocking doors and loud voices. Be quiet. Whoever's in here just doesn't want to be disturbed. Now, when I'm asleep, I would be honest with you. I don't like to be disturbed. Do you? They did something about it. We resent folks disturbing our slumber. We just don't. Kids don't like that you wake them up at 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning to try to get them up and get them dressed and get them to the bathroom and get them washed and get them to the bus and get them to school. They don't want to be bothered. So leave me alone. They'll take the pillows and pull them over their head. Anything to keep from being awakened. And we don't want to be disturbed. We don't want to be awakened. Let us alone, preacher. Let us sleep on. But we need to be awakened. And I thought of this. People don't go to sleep till they get relaxed. You've got to get completely relaxed before you'll go to sleep. You know, we run on tension. We're wound up, and that's what keeps us going. We run on tension. And the only time we can go to sleep is when we relax. And the tension dissipates, and we just unwind. And when we get unwound, and, uh, we're kind of, you know, our tension runs down, and then we get into relaxed state. And as long as you're not relaxed, sleep will not come. Amen. You've got to get unwound. And we run on tension. That piano runs on tension. Why, all those strings are wound up tight. There's tremendous tension on every one of those strings. And, and if you would unwind those strings and take the tension off of them, you wouldn't get any music out of them. And I believe there's a Holy Ghost tension that God puts in every one of us. We're wound up tight as a bench of string. That's the way we operate. And, uh, and as long as we're wound up tight and there's a lot of tension in us, we're going to stay away. But the devil says, now, look, there's no point in, you know, relax, man, take it easy. Look at him, look at her, why they're not. They're taking it easy. You know, I'll be so concerned. Just relax, man, take it easy. Wind down. Why, when a man's in the ring boxing, why, every, every muscle and every nerve is tense as he faces his opponent. He dare not 
drop his guard. Why, he's under tremendous, under tremendous tension when he's in the ring. Or did you ever see two guys wrestling? Why, every muscle and nerve is, is under tension. They are. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And, and a man that's running a race, I mean, every muscle and every nerve is under tension. And we're running this race. We dare not relax. If we do, friend, the devil will put us to sleep. I'm running under tension. And I hope as I get older, I'll not just sit down and take it easy, drift along. And I know I'm age is taking its toll. I can feel it. Every part of my anatomy, I can feel age and time. Take, but I don't want to just take it easy. Instead of retiring, we need to retire. Amen. No, we're not going to drift in. I'll tell you that. And the devil will put us to sleep if we don't watch it. You've got to relax. You've got to get comfortable before you can go to sleep. Aren't we living in a comfortable age? My land, everything, everything is geared for our comfort. I mean, from your automobile to your mattress to your living room suit, everything, everything is geared to the comfort of the American Christian. And I'm afraid of this, brother, this comfort. I wonder if it's a help in the spiritual. And I appreciate every comfort. I appreciate all the conveniences we have. But I really wonder if it's helped us spiritually. Comfort. One man said, that's not true. He said, I went to sleep standing on my feet in a foxhole. I know, I know that there are exceptions to the rule, but by and large, you're not going to sleep until you relax and get comfortable. Well, I didn't get any amens on that, but that's the truth. Awake, awake. But now here's a thought I want to deal with very briefly this afternoon. It's the next one. And he says, put on thy strength, O Zion, and put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem. Put on thy strength. Well, why did he say that? Evidently, they had put their strength off. Now he said, put it on. And evidently, as it was nearby, they had access to it. They could get hold of it and put it on. I was thinking, you know, the early church for about 300 years uh, put on her strength and put on her power for about 300 years. She went forth clothed with power and strength and was an invincible force on earth. That Rome could not stop the church, and paganism could not stop it, and Judaism could not stop it. In fact, the cross was planted in Caesar's palace, and they said, These are come hither that have turned the world upside down. That's what they said about them. The cross was planted across the known world. Uh, um, the martyr state couldn't stop it. The, the dens of lions couldn't stop it. And nothing, persecution, beatings, and putting in prison and martyrdom couldn't stop the onward march of the early church. She was an invincible force as long as she frequented the upper room. For about 300 years, the church had on her power. Then for the next thousand years, she seemed to lay aside her strength. And there came a period of weakness. But in the days of Martin Luther and the Reformation, for some time, the church again put on her strength and put on her power. But again, there came a period when she put off her garments of power and strength. And then came the Wesleyan Revival. And again, the church put back on her strength and power for about 150 or 200 years. And then there was a period of weakness until about the turn of the century when the holiness revivals broke out. But I think at this particular time, friends, I think the church, by and large, it has put, put off her, her garments of power and strength. Seems to me like we're in a period of, of spiritual weakness in the church today. I was just reading over there 
in Revelation about the two of the seven churches. The Lord didn't have any have any uh, reproof toward these two churches. Sardis was the suffering church, and, and the Philadelphia church was the missionary church. God said, I set before you an open door. No man has power to close it. And, and he said to, uh, to this church, he said, Thou hast a little strength has kept my word and has not denied my name. I believe this is the rapture church, church of Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love. And I'm going to be in that crowd, and that just about illustrates where we're at in the church world today. Thou hast a little strength. Well, thank God for what little we do have, but friend, the exhortation is, put on thy strength, O Zion, put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem. And after a fellow wakes up, in sequence, the next thing he'll do is dress up. Oh, God, wake us up. Wake me up. Wake you up. And then if God can shake us awake and alarm us and disturb us and get both eyes wide open spiritually, then may we be dressed up. Not in our own righteousness, but dressed in the strength that the Lord has provided for us. You say, well, Brother Walker, what is the strength of the church? What is it? I'd like to suggest very quickly five sources of strength for every Christian. And it's not just for the men, it's for the women, it's not just for grown folks, it's for teenagers and young people, it's not just for the ministry, but it's for every layman and every laywoman. Every one of us have access to the source of God's strength and God's power. Somebody said, well, what is it, Brother Walker? Is it an educated ministry? I would suppose I was meditating and thinking on this, and I hope you won't misunderstand me. I thank God that I had the privilege to go to Bible school for four years. And some, but I, I, really, friends, I don't think we've ever had a more trained and a more educated ministry, college graduates and seminary trained preachers, than we have today. There's more standing behind the pulpits in the holiness movement today than ever before. You say, well, is that, the, is that the strength of the church? Not necessarily so. Not necessarily so. Education is wonderful if it's consecrated, if it's on the altar, if it's anointed to the Holy Ghost. It's wonderful. Good religion and good sense are a wonderful combination. But you'll have to remember, friends, the, the founding fathers of the New Testament church were not schoolmen and they were not college-educated men. The Bible said they were ignorant and unlearned that as far as formal education was concerned. However, I don't think anybody could, could walk with Jesus Christ for three and a half years and be totally ignorant to you. But that's what they said. They were ignorant and unlearned. That is, they didn't have any formal education. But, oh, friends, really, I appreciate all of that. I appreciate this. But, friends, that in itself is not the strength of the church. You look at you look at the online churches, brother, and all of them just about have degrees that they require, but where's their strength? They don't have it. Somebody said, well, it's our beautiful church edifices that we have today. No longer do we have to worship in converted storefronts and, and converted oil houses and, and, and uh, chicken coops and things like, like the founding fathers worshiped in. While many of our holy churches today cost a half a million or a million and a million half dollars. Beautiful brick structure, structures that we worship in today. Stained windows and wall-to-wall -wall carpet and cushioned seats. 
and, and central air condition and trained choirs and, and a college-educated minister. You say, well, that's where our strengths, our preachers, and our beautiful buildings today. Not necessarily so. And I'm not knocking it. I appreciate this and fuse. I appreciate our condition. Wish we had it here. I appreciate that. But that does not necessarily mean that that's the strength of the church. Somebody said, well, preacher, it's because we, I, they said, well, we used to run from week to week and just barely had enough money to pay our expenses and pay the preacher a little salary and keep the lights on. And, but I know many churches, they have 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 and $75,000 in the, in the church treasure. You say, preacher, that's where the strength of the church is that not necessarily so. I remember there was a time in the church when, when two of the, the founding fathers and two of the, the main leaders in the church said this, silver and gold have we none. <laughs> Amen. Now, they didn't have $5,000 air-conditioned dog houses, and they didn't ride around in townhouse limousines, and they didn't live in, in homes that cost one and a half million dollars. Somebody said one of the old saints was visiting Rome and the, and the Pope was showing him the lovely buildings there in Rome, Italy and, and all the riches and all the treasures that uh, the Roman church had. And, and, uh, and uh, the, the Pope said to this visiting saint, said, no longer can the church say silver and gold have we none. And the old saint, whichever one he was, said, neither can the church say in the name of Jesus rise up and walk either. You say, well, where, where is the strength of the church, Brother Lord? I'd like to suggest briefly five things. Number one, I believe the strength of the church lies in the infilling of the Holy Ghost. That is fundamental, friends. That is basic, friends. And if we can have everything else, but if we don't have the infilling and the abiding presence of the Holy Ghost, friend, we've missed it a million miles. And did you know that's available to every one of us? I know there's a large church today that says nobody has the Holy Ghost since the days of the apostles. And there's probably a lot of them around here. They ought to say nobody has the Holy Ghost since the days of the apostles as we know of. But there's a lot of folk have the Holy Ghost today. And it wasn't just for the apostles. And it wasn't just for the ministry, friends. But, but Peter said to the people on the day of Pentecost, the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. God said, I'll pour out of my spirit on my servants and on my handmaids, and they'll prophesy. Handmaids, not just the men, both, but handmaids. Everybody can have this. Everybody ought to have it. Everybody needs it. The infilling of the Holy Ghost. You remember one of the last words that Jesus said in the, before he ascended? You find it over in Luke where he said, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But he said, Tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. That word endued literally means clothed upon, like putting on a garment, clothed with divine power, clothed with the energy and the power of the Holy Spirit, until you be endued with power from on high. Amen. 
promise of the Father. For you see, the Father had promised the Son that if he went to Calvary and came back to glory, that he would give him the gift of the Holy Ghost to share with all of his children. The Holy Spirit did not come necessarily because the apostles prayed in Jerusalem, but he said he, he came to call Jesus pray. He said, I will pray the Father, and he'll give you another comforter. Jesus prayed, and the Father had promised the Son the gift of the Holy Spirit to give to every one of his children. You can have it. Don't you let the devil teach you out of the blessing either. Then you read over there in Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Jesus, they, they said to the Lord, Wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom again to Israel? And Jesus said, It is not for you to know the times and seasons which the Father has put within his own power, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world, the earth. What are you talking about? I'm talking about the infilling of the Holy Ghost is the strength of the church and the individual Christian. Now they tell us, they tell us, now there may be more than this, but they tell us there are at least two different Greek words for the word power. There may be three, but I know there's two. And this word here where Jesus said, which the Father hath put within his own power, that word is exousia, and that word means authority. Which the Father hath put within his own authority. Now there's another word that he uses in Acts 1a, and it's a different word, where he said, you shall receive power, that is not exousia, that word is dunamis. Dunamis, you shall receive dunamis. Now the word exousia means authority, which the Father had put within his own authority, and where Jesus had all power in heaven and earth, that word is exousia, and that means authority. Did you know that Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and all authority on earth? The sun cannot rise without his permission. A rose cannot bloom without his permission. A wave cannot toss upon the sea without his permission. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And he said, go ye. And I'm with you. Isn't that a consolation to know that you've got all the authority of heaven back on you when you go? Let me illustrate it like this. Here comes, a, here comes an 18-wheeler down the highway doing 60 miles an hour. He's loading. Now, I don't know how much that great 18-wheeler would weigh, but he, there's a man behind the wheel. He's a coming down the highway 60 miles an hour, and all of a sudden there steps out in the middle of the road a man with a peculiar uniform on and has a, has a six-shooter on his hip and a star on his, on his lapel. And a certain funny-looking hat, and this man stops up there in the road and raises his right hand. Doesn't say a word, just raises his hand. That little six-foot, hundred and eighty-pound gentleman stopped an eighteen-wheeler coming down the road, sixty miles, stopped him dead in his tracks. You said, "What was that?" It was exousia. It was authority. This is a state patrolman, and he steps out, and he's from Ohio. He has delegated authority, and the authority of the state of Ohio is back of him. And I'll tell you, the fellow driving that truck had better stop. 
said, how can he do it? He has authority invested in him from the state of Ohio. And I think, I think any preacher ought to speak with authority. And that's what they, they were amazed at. Jesus said, he speaketh as one who has authority and not as the scribes and Pharisees. They did a lot of talking, but they didn't have any authority. But I like this other word. Dunamis. Dunamis. You shall receive dunamis. Do we know anything about it? <laughs> they tell us from that word, we get our English word dynamite. We get our English word dynamo. We get our English word dynamic. Friend, I just believe that Jesus Christ has made available and possible for every New Testament Christian in this dispensation a dunamis, a spiritual dynamite. What do you use dynamite for? To move rocks, to move boulders, to move obstacles in your way, to get the job done, to accomplish whatever needs to be done. Now, here's a little crowd that goes out, sent them out to, to, to evangelize the world, didn't have a mission board behind them, didn't have any money, didn't have a telephone, didn't have a printing press, didn't have a radio, nor television, nor any mass media means of communication. And in a short while, brother, they had spread the gospel to the known world. Nothing could stop their onward march. We don't have enough power to evangelize our own community. Strength, power, energy. I would suggest this real quickly. I believe it's first of all power to be. Power to be. And second is power to do. A lot of folks seem to want power to do, but they don't have power to be. Service is one thing, but holy character is another. And I believe, friend, if we're going to be effective in service, we're going to have to be something in our character. I know preachers are out here preaching today. Brother, they can line the altars and they can preach eloquent as a polished good, but they won't pay their debts. They owe people from Dan to Beersheba. Yes, sir, drive late model automobiles and, 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 and dress like uh, the Shah of Iran. And, and I mean, brother, they, they, they're stick and span and, and they, they live high enough, but they won't pay their bills. Some preachers today are pastoring, has left Bible school and still owe their Bible school years ago and have never paid their college bill. Probably the Holy Ghost will give you power to be honest and give you power to tell the truth and will cause you to swear to your own hurt and, and help you to be what God wants you to be. His power can make you what you ought to be. His blood can cleanse your heart and make you free. His love can fill your soul and you will see it was best for him to have his way with thee. Power to be. Power to be sweet under pressure. Power to be kind. Power to be gentle. Power to be humble. Power to be courteous. Power to live in white. 
choose what's right under all circumstances and help you to walk this world in white and live a life that's unspotted from this whole world. <laughs> Holy character. And brother, I believe he will also give you power to do God's will. If he calls you to the mission field, he'll go with you to the mission field. He'll give you power to be the missionary. Let me say this. You know something? You'll never be the preacher. You'll never be the missionary. You'll never be the teacher. You'll never be the husband. You'll never be the wife. You'll never be the father and mother that God intends you to be without this Holy Spirit power. Amen. If you've got two or three little youngins trying to raise those little children, you need the Holy Ghost power to keep you sweet and keep you kind and help you discipline them youngins and help you to set a good example before them in your home. I've seen mothers slap their children in church and show the ugliest attitude. Solitary, not many up there. 
And I'm convinced. Friends, listen, did you know you have the privilege to mount up there in the heavens with wings as eagles? I've been up there a few times. I like it up there. Don't get up there as often as I like to, but I get up there once in a while, and I like the view. But he said, you'll not only mount up with wings as eagles, but he said, you shall run and not be weary. Well, you're not flying now, but you're running, praise God. Amen. You can run and not be weary. But then he said, you shall walk and not faint. That is, don't pass out, don't backslide, don't quit. I might be talking to somebody today that seems like you're not making any progress. You're just, you're just kind of plodding along. But you remember the time when he was up there on eagle wings. And then you remember there was a time when you ran. But for some time now, you're just plodding along. But you've not quit. You're still walking. Walking, don't feel a thing, just walking. You're just walking, but you're not quitting. You're not stopped. You're not sit down. You're not falling to the wayside. But I tell you, I looked forward. I, I remember being up there. <laughs> and I went on God a long wreck. I'll pick up a little steam, and after I'll start running. And I'll keep waiting on God, and the first thing you know, I'm up there in the heavens again. Hey, listen, you know I believe in every town meeting and every church, there ought to be at least a few saints who are up there in the heavens. Then there ought to be some up running. And then there'll be a few walking, but it's bad when everybody's walking. I think most of us are walking today. But once in a while, it's good to meet a saint that's been up there. And if you are up there in old eagle's wings today, don't look down on us that are walking, because one of these days you're going to come down too, and you're going to have to walk too. But the secret of getting up there is waiting on God, and He will renew your strength. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. Take time to wait on God. That's another source of your strength. Anybody can do that. Feeding on the Word of God is the third source of strength, and all of us can either read or get somebody to read it to us. If we're blind, we can get Braille, or we can listen, we can get records, or it's recorded, the New Testament is, is recorded on, on record or tape. You can get that. That's a source of strength. Friend, I'll tell you one thing. If you want to be a strong Christian, digest the Word of God. Get it inside of you. What did Peter say? As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby and be what? Strong. You want to be strong? Digest the sincere milk of the Word. What does Psalm 1 say? But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a what? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Not just a wild tree, but one that's been planted by the rivers of water. That bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf will not fade. And whatsoever he doeth will prosper. Just drink and drink because you're planted beside of a river. Just drink and drink and drink and you'll be like a tree. You don't move a tree, brother. 
You may take a little sapling and move it any way you want it, but when that thing becomes a tree, you're not going to move it. It's wounded and shattered. If you dried up, I'll tell you, you probably got out of the, you got out, you moved away from the river. Right here's your river. Drink. Drink, my beloved. Get your roots anchored down in this old book and get your mind full of it and get your soul full of it and you'll be like that tree. Leaf won't fade. That means you won't lose your testimony. It stays full of chlorophyll. It stays green and fresh. And the way you do it, you meditate in it day and night. I read some time ago that word, that word meditate literally means to chew the good. That's what it means, chew the good. I don't know why I was raised on a farm, but I wasn't an educated farmer. I'm told a cow has at least two stomachs and some say four. And I'm not going to get into that on how many they got. But I know they got, I know they got at least two. And I know this, if you'll get up just about to break a day, if you're on the farm or go by a farm and just about to break a day, all the herd are out in the pastures grazing. While it's cool and just, just at the break of day, you'll see them and usually they're all going in the same direction. When they lie down, they all usually lie down facing the same direction. I don't know why they do that, but most of them do. And they'll graze till about 10 o'clock in the morning. Then they'll go find a big old poplar tree or some big old shade tree by the bank of the river, and they'll all lie down under this shade tree, and they'll just they'll just all lie down, and they'll just they'll lower their ears about half mast, and they'll begin to they'll they'll begin to regurgitate or whatever they do. That grass they ate early that morning comes up, and they they, they have what they call a cud, and they just chew and chew their eyes about half low, and they turn that thing over and over, and they chew it and they chew it, and they look so contented. They're chewing the cud, and when you meditate on God's word, David said you're chewing your cud. Most of us, when we get home about 1 o'clock Sunday, somebody said, what did the preacher preach on this morning? Well, uh, oh, Rusty, now, er, I don't believe him now. It's what he preached on. Another source of strength and joy. You got any? Listen, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Bible talks about joy. You can have joy. Then it talks about that your joy may be full. And then it talks about joy unspeakable and full of glory. We need a whole dump load of joy. Not happiness, but joy. Happiness depends on what happens to you. Happiness. 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 But joy goes deeper than what if things don't happen like they sh- you thought they would. You can still have joy. Because Paul and Silas had joy in the Philippian jailhouse. They did. Why, they broke out in prayer and song. Midnight. In the jailhouse. With a bloody back. Sitting on that old wet floor. With the cockroaches and the mice. Running around. Sang praises to God at the midnight hour. It's what made it they burst forth with joy. 
The devil said, I'll beat it out of them. They couldn't beat that out of them fellas. There was a Madame Guyon or Guyot, how you pronounce her name, when she was over there in prison. She said, uh, well, notice I said about John Bunyan when he was over there in Bedford Prison. He said, I sat down in joy. It made me right. And he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. And he said, joy made me right. Madam Guyon said in her prison, said, my stones shine like rubies, and I praise the hand that placed me there. She had joy sitting in her prison cell, man. Amen. Joy. Some time ago, I was reading about, I believe it was John and Mona Fleming. They were really characters before they got saved. They were bootleggers. And I, there was a fellow in the community, a certain deacon that lived upon a hill, and uh, he, he knew John and Bone so white lightning. And they said this fellow, this deacon, would come down after church on Sunday morning. He'd ride by on his horse and he'd say, John, how about a little toddy from a body? It's a toddy wouldn't buy none. He just wanted a little, just a, he just wanted a little tad, you know, just a little toddy for his body. Now he said, none of the fellows up church know I drink. But he said, so just, could I just have a little, just, just, just a little taste of it? He'd do that week after week after week after week. He said, they don't know I drink. One day, John and Bona got tired of that. They said, the next time that rascal comes down here, John said to Bona, said, Bona, you catch him. He said, I'll pour it in him. A couple of weeks later, this deacon came by and he wanted a little, just a little toddy. They got him off his horse and one of them threw him down and the other had a pint of white lightning. And while one of them held him down and held his mouth open, he poured about a pot of white lightning down his throat. John said, when we turned him loose, and when he got up, he said, that's the happiest man I ever saw in my life. He said, the spirits took a hold of him, and he got happy. They called that stuff spirits. I saw one that was a spirit's house. Holiday Inn says, on their marquee, said, happy hour from six to seven. I wonder what their happy hour was. Well, they've got a bar in there. And these businessmen and people have been traveling weary. And they'll come in and sit on their stools and give me a little Jack Daniels or Black Pro or Four Roses or a little bourbon. And they sit there and they drink, you know. And the more they drink, the happier they get. And they forget about their problems. And they forget about their troubles. And they sit there and, 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 and laugh and talk, you know. That's what they call their happy hour. Well, I'm having my happy hour now. You probably not, but I'm having my. I said, well, if that's true, that's the devil's happy hour. When we come, brother, we drink from another source. We've got our happy hour, too. I've heard the old saints talk about they got so drunk in the spirit. Some people had to help them get out of the church and one on each side and get them in the car and help them across the footlock and help them and put them in the bed. And they woke up and didn't even know where they'd been. They were so drunk in the spirit. You ever seen anybody drunk in the spirit? I have. Seen them stagger under the power. Amen. On the early church, they said they're drunk on new wine. But they sounded bone and said they put this fellow on his horse to go home, send him home. He's drunk. He's got about a pint beneath his belt, and he's as happy as he can be. They said we put him on his horse and smacked the horse, and the horse turned around and said when the horse went one way, the man fell off the horse and fell on his face to the ground, and his nose was bleeding, his skin, his nose. He said the old man just kept laughing and said he was as happy as a June bug. Didn't feel a thing, just as happy as he could be. 
They put him on the horse and they smacked the horse and he went off down down a narrow path and heading for home. They said the last time they saw him, he was waving to the trees and waving. He, he had a grin from ear to ear, just a laughing like he'd die. So that's the happiest man. He said he wanted to come into the community. Said he was just a waving and a hollering, a hooping, a hooping. They found out he was drunk. Yeah, we come to church and we just nibble a little. Give me just a little sip. And we're pretty well behaved. And it don't get out on us. And we can kind of keep it to ourselves and nobody knows. But if you would get full of the Holy Ghost and get drunk, it might get out on us. While well, they used to send the cops to tell them to quieten down and throw rocks through the windows and throw rotten tomatoes and cut the tents down and say you're making too much noise. You heard about that little mouse, didn't you? This little bitty mouse lived in this great big old my wife would say host. He lived back here behind the wall. We had him a little hole back here behind the wall. It's dark. In this great big old house, and right out there was the kitchen where they cut cheese and, and uh, all good things. Now, he, he'd look out that little hole, and he'd see the light shining out there, and he could smell that cheese and all these good things to eat. And here he was all cramped up in his little dark hole. But one day, he just ventured up a little courage. So I'm going out there and see what it feels like. He got out from behind the wall and got out there. This great big old kitchen was shining to know him. He got to sniffing around. He just enjoyed his liberty and enjoyed the light and the odor that he could smell. But in that same house was a great big old tomcat. And here come the tom stalking the mouse. And the little mouse looked here and he looked there and he looked, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? And he looked over here and there was a door that led down into the cellar. Down into the basement, there was some steps and a crack just under the under the basement door. The little mouse said, oh, my, I've got to go somewhere. And he, and he ran under that door and got under the crack and, and went down the steps as fast as he could go. But he didn't know it, but the master of the house had a big old wine barrel sitting right at the bottom of the steps. And he took a leap and he landed right in the middle of that wine barrel. He swam around and sunk two or three times and took three or two or three gulps of that wine. Finally, he, he managed to get out. By the time he managed to get out, that wine was taking its effect. He crawled out of it, left his mouth up, and he started back up them steps. And he crawled back under that crack, and he got out in that kitchen floor. He said, where's that tomcat? Yeah, oh, he's still a mouse. But this that's in him has taken away his fear. And he, he, he's ready to take on that tongue. Where is he? Sometimes I think, you know, the devil can say, boo. That's what he said to Peter. Boo. Boo. And Peter denied, and Peter cursed, and Peter swore. But on the day of Pentecost, Holy Ghost came. And Peter stood, he stood as long as he could in the upper room. But he had to give in to what was inside. That crowd came down out of that upper room. 
I don't I, I'd like to see Peter's face. I'd like to hurt, I'd like to hurt what he said when he burst out the door and got out there on the cobblestone streets of Jerusalem. Thousands of people were there. The very crowd that he crucified Jesus, he stood up and he says, Peter standing up. With the eleven, lifted up his voice and said, Men and brethren, I want you to hearken to me. Brother, he preached a sermon and he testified and he preached and he shouted. And while he was a preacher, the rest of them were testifying. They said they're drunk. Peter said it ain't so. He said we're not drunk as you suppose. He didn't deny they were drunk. He said we're not drunk as you suppose. He said it's just about 9 o'clock and the ABC liquor stores haven't had time to open. said we've been in God's wine bar. This is that that was spoken of with the prophet Joel. The Holy Ghost has come. Maybe one more thought and I'll let you go, and that is unity. It's the strength of the church. A house divided against itself cannot stand, but a threefold cord is not easily broken. Unity produces strength in the church. This is one reason the early church had such strength, and this is one reason the Communist Party has had such strength that has made such strides. They're united in their purpose and in their cause. If the church of Jesus Christ in these last days could get united like the communist party is, we could do something. Thank God I'm not split up with anybody. How about you? Our people don't even know who they belong to. I don't care who you belong to. As long as you belong to Jesus. I don't ask to see people's credentials. What crowd are you with? The Bible said they that believe were of one heart and one soul. I don't know how many. The multitude that believe were of one heart and one soul. And great grace was upon them. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of Jesus. Great grace and great power and great fear when you get to everything and it said the people magnified the people. The world magnified the church. Put on thy strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments. Church is a beautiful thing when you see her dressed up. Beautiful. Beautiful. Beautiful garments. Beautiful garments. Shake thyself from the dust. That's particles of earth. Earth, shake the dust of earthly things. So much of us, so many of us are covered with earthly things. Shake. And loose thyself, oh captain daughter. Loose thyself from the bands around your neck. You've been tied up too long. Get the bands off of you. Loose thyself. Thank God I'm free. Not under bondage to one of you. Not one of you. Not one of you. Or anybody or anything. Then set free. Hundreds of years, the colored folk were slaves over here, working on the cotton plantations, bought and sold slaves. One day Abraham Lincoln signed a document. 
the emancipation. The proclamation of the, the emancipation. What was that called? The emancipation proclamation. And he said something like this. Henceforth, all slaves shall be forever free. And he signed it, Abraham Lincoln. All slaves shall henceforth and forever be free. Now, a lot of them heard about it, but a lot of them didn't hear. They were way off. Still enslaved and didn't know they'd been set free. They'd get out there in those cotton fields and they'd sing, Jubilees are coming in the morning, children. Jubilees are coming in the morning. Children, we're going to be free someday. Jubilees are coming in the morning. And they didn't already know it, but Jubilee had already come. <laughs> For Abraham Lincoln had already signed the document that all of them could be free. Methinks. 2,000 years ago, one greater than Abraham Lincoln signed that all slaves shall henceforth and forever be free. I didn't know about it. I went 16 years and I didn't know I was free. I come to Little Pilgrim Homeless Mission. Soaked under the gospel for about a week. And one night I made my way trembling to an old-fashioned mourner's bench. And there the brown and morning star put his arms around me and said, Son, you're free. <laughs> Amen! Free! I'm still free. Glory to God! You're free too, friend, and stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. You don't have to take your freedom. You've already got it. Glory to God. You're free. Free. You're free to make noise. You're free to be quiet. You're just free. Hallelujah. You're free to be yourself. You're free to be what God wants you to be. Just free. Isn't that wonderful? Free. Free. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. Keep passing it on, keep passing it on, keep passing it on.